Well, a few moments ago, we said together uh, the confession, where we all confess to God at one time, well, uh, sorry, we confess it now, we're always sinners. Uh, I, I love that we do confession together. We don't do it every week, but we do it frequently. Uh, and one of the reasons I think it's so good is because it reminds us that there are not two different tiers of Christians, right? Sometimes we can think that we're the odd one out, that no one else struggles with their faith, it's just me. No one else worries if God loves them, it's just me. Uh, no one else wrestles with sin, it's just me. And so we can feel like we're the ones on the bottom tier and then everyone else is above us. <laughs> that we're down here, everyone else up there. I, I think it's better to be that way around and to think, well, I'm up here and everyone else is down there. You've got other trouble then. But, but confession reminds us there are not two tears. We're all broken and we all let God down in different ways. And, and I love the Psalms for much the same reason. Sometimes when we go through particularly dark times in our Christian walk, we, we can think that no one else has the same doubts that I have or the same worries or the same struggles. But you read the Psalms and all of a sudden you see, well, there's lots of other people who've gone through exactly the same things and felt exactly how I feel right now. Particularly when so many of the Psalms are by people who are struggling and wrestling with God and saying to him, what's going on here? What's going on, God? Which is the experience of all the people of God down through the ages, uh, different ways, same, but same questions at different times. Even the heroes of faith wrestled with these questions. Abraham wrestled with God. Sarah wrestled. Jonah wrestled. Noah wrestled. And and it's not just the people in the scriptures. All believers have wrestled with God in these questions down through the ages. The same questions. Uh, some of you might know the name Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Uh, anyone familiar with Spurgeon? Uh, he was a uh, world-famous preacher in the 1800s. Uh, you can still buy his books and sermons today. They are super helpful and encouraging most of the time. Um, it's, he's called sometimes the Prince of Preachers. Uh, it's estimated that he uh, preached to over 10 million different people over his preaching uh, career in England, America, New Zealand. Like he just went around and uh, just was preaching the word and was wonderfully encouraging, super helpful, always pointing to Christ, great evangelist. What's not so well known about Charles Spurgeon is that from the age of 24, onwards he suffered an almost debilitating depression uh, here's his own words describing what he was going through at times my spirits were sunken so low that i could weep by the hour like a child but i knew not what i wept for oh that's pretty sad isn't it uh, he speaks of what he calls his causeless depression and so the reality of sorrow and sadness and brokenness and despair is a common one for all of God's people, regardless of age, gender, race. It's common amongst all people for that matter, right? It doesn't matter what religion and Christians are not exempt from it. In this fallen world, as fallen people, life is tough and it's tough for all of us. You might think as Christians we shouldn't have to go through any of those tough times because God's on his throne and, and Jesus has conquered, he's written, we've got victory, right? That's what Joel Osteen preaches, isn't it? And you've got victory because Jesus has got, 
You conquered the grave, and so you can have victory over everything. No, but that's not the way it is. We, we all struggle. And you see here in Psalm 13 how not even the greatest of believers is exempt. Here's a song of sadness and weakness uh, where the man who wrote it is begging God for answers. But who wrote it? You see there, there's the heading of the Psalms uh, is actually part of the Psalms. It's part of verse 1, but the translators don't know how to do that. So, you know, it's, not, it's too hard to move the number one up a little bit. But it's the first verse is always the, the, the heading bit, you know, a mascal of, you know, Asaph or whatever it is. And in this case, Psalm 13, who wrote it? King David. King David, who's repeatedly described through the Bible as a man who had a heart fully devoted to the Lord. King David, the man who was chosen by God to be the king over God's people. God, king David, who's the forerunner and the ancestor of Christ. King David, who God made incredible promises to and had done the impossible through. Defeating giants, routing armies many times stronger, capturing cities that had never been breached. But you can see in this psalm that even this amazing man, this special man of God, struggled in life. And he sometimes struggled big time. Look at the phrase he uses four times in just those first, four verse, uh, first two verses. Um, if you've not used this phrase at all, it's probably because you haven't been a Christian very long. How long, Lord? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long... Will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemy dominate me? How long, Lord? How long? If, even if you haven't used those exact words, I'm sure you felt something like that at some stage. How long, Lord, will the effects of COVID on, that have devastated our society relationally economic how long will they go on for you know how long uh, lord will will i have to go on facing this physical pain that i can't get rid of how long lord will the the pain of broken relationships last how long will i have to experience the loss of this loved one for before i can just get over it Uh, now david doesn't tell us the exact situation he was going through that made him write this psalm. Uh, Verse 2 and 4 tells us he's facing an enemy of some sort, uh, but which enemy or enemies, uh, when it was, uh, we don't know. There was just so many of them in the second half of his life, particularly that uh, that he faced uh, from enemies without, enemies within. There was the king he served who hunted him for his life for, for years on end. There was his son who uh, rebelled against him and led an overthrow of his kingdom and was trying to kill him. There was, you know, the enemy armies that were out there, right? There's just so many different enemies and I'm sure there's more that we don't even read of in the scriptures. Which one was this? Don't know. How long did he have to you know, deal with this particular person or people? I don't know. Um, but I think we can all still relate to the principle of what he was going through. How long, Lord? Because whether you're the king of God's people or you're the lowest in the kingdom of heaven or you're John the Baptist or you're Joe Wiltshire or whoever, we all go through times and seasons and situations like this and you might be, as I know 
Lots of people in our church are going through them right now. And this psalm is here as part of God's word to us so that we can learn from David, know that it's normal, but also so that we can learn what David learned as he went through it and cried out to God. And so if you've got your Bibles open, and I hope you have, it's Psalm 13. You can see Psalm 13 splits up very neatly into three sections, two verses each. Uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, David shows us his pain, the, the rawness of his heart. In verses 3 and 4, you've got David's prayer where he pleads to God because of the pain that he's in. And then in 5 and 6, you see David praise God somehow in the midst of it all. His pain, his prayer and his praise. And I just want to take each of them in turn. So have a look at the, the pain of David you might even say this was a moment of despair how long Lord will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me how long will I store up anxious concerns within me agony in my mind every day how long will my enemies dominate me can you hear the pain <laughs> the the struggle David's having and in particular, there's three things that he says are causing him this despair. Uh, firstly, David says he feels despair because of where his relationship with God's at right now. Uh, you ever feel that, that God's far away or not interested, that uh, he's even absent, maybe even that he's turned his back on you? Uh, it's a scary feeling to have and when it comes, it can be like this heavy weight on our shoulders uh, and maybe that also makes us feel ashamed because it seems like no one else in church or my bible study or my christian friends feel the same thing and so maybe it's my fault maybe it's me not god and and that makes us feel even worse but david felt this look what he says will you forget me forever he feels like god has forgotten him completely how long will you hide your face from me? He feels like God's turned away from him and giving him the silent treatment that he's being ghosted. Right? God's not texting. Um, so he's feeling alone without God on his side. And so spiritually, he's in anguish. But he's not just in despair spiritually. He's in despair also in his own mind and personal life. You see verse 2, How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my heart, and my, sorry, my mind every day, uh, one of the other translations says, I, I'm wrestling with my thoughts every day. I've got sorrow in my heart constantly. So it, it's more than just a spiritual loneliness and this feeling that God's not there. There's, there's this inner anguish going on. And maybe you know exactly what that's like. The, it's so realistic, isn't it? The, it's so honest. The, the whys, the what ifs, the the going over the same things in your mind, the replaying the situations. The, have you ever gone through that? All right, you, you, you're trying to control the voices that you just keep hearing and the scenes that you, you can't get out of your own head. You can't, you're trying to stop thinking about things and remembering, but you can't because whatever's happened or going on just seems so unjust. Or the replaying in your mind how things went and, and picturing how it should have gone down. Right? 
Or I've lost this deep and bitter argument with someone and I'm replaying it now in a way that I'm winning the argument in my mind. I've lost lots of arguments in my life, but I've never lost in a replay in my mind. (laughs) Uh, I always come up with exactly the right thing to say in exactly the right way and the other person sees my genius and apologises for ever disagreeing with me. I'm sorry, Joe, how could I have ever thought differently (laughs) to you? And... But you don't, you end up going, but I didn't say that and it's not how it happened and, you know, and, and that makes things worse. It can be oppressive because we're wrestling so hard with our own heads. But it's not just the thoughts in his mind. David says it's the anxiety within him or the sorrow in his heart. And, and some of you will know the pain of anxiety and sorrow in your heart, the, the feeling that's almost inescapable, the the bondage, the bars, the, and sometimes they go hand in hand, right? The wrestling with your thoughts and the, the sorrow in your heart. So David's struggling in his relationship with God. He's struggling in and of himself. And then third, he's struggling in relation to his enemies. Verse 2, how long will my enemy dominate me? And he had real enemies, like literal enemies, enemy soldiers who were trying to kill him, right? Which one it is? Don't know. Most of us, I, well, I'm guessing, don't have that, right? Someone who's actually threatening your life, like with weapons and you know, trying to kick down your door. But, but it doesn't take too much work to see the parallels, right, for us. That some of us have people in our lives that just make them miserable. The schoolyard bully, the, the boss who seems to be out to get us, the neighbour who we've been in this bitter feud with for years and they seem to stick it to us every opportunity they get. But even if we haven't got those kind of people in our lives, really I think what David's seeing is that there's other people, people that aren't serving God faithfully and yet seem to be triumphing in life and he's not and it just makes the situation even worse. Can you hear his despair? Can you, can you feel it? Can you sympathise with him? How long, Lord, because you seem so distant from me? How long, Lord, because I'm a mess and I'm feeling this anxiety and sorrow. My, my brain's just this cacophony of noise. How long, Lord, because other people don't seem to be wrestling at all with anything, including my enemies and, and your enemies, God. But I really am. How long, Lord? And so the whole breadth of David's life's here and the reality is that this is what life is like and can be like in this fallen world, even for God's people. Romans 8 talks about how creation groans with longing like the pains of childbirth and that the children of God groan in the same way, right? And that's the groaning that David's going through. 1 Peter 4, we just read, it talks about that God's people have to go through a fiery ordeal at times and, and it can be a feel like that, can it? That we're being burned, right? And there's just this pain and you know, where's it come from? It says it don't, it's not unexpected. Um, uh, a friend from New Zealand, uh, Auckland, in fact, uh, was reflecting about his kids and how they'd grown up with so many things so close to home that he'd never had to deal with growing up just in recent years. Uh, Terrorist attacks in his hometown, Uh, earthquakes that had flattened the city, you know, the pandemics, which, well, we're all facing those. 
And he was saying that, you know, when his kids are fearful and anguish, he, he feels like he can't just say, well, well, don't worry about it because they've seen that there's lots of reason to worry about it. There's lots to be anxious about. Now, for some of us, it's not the big things like national emergencies. It's, it's the sickness or pain we're going through now. It's the depression that just dogs us and we're wrestling with. It's the loss of a loved one. It's the loneliness we feel, the, the way we've been rejected by someone. It's the, the termites that have wreaked havoc and have plunged life into uncertainty because we had to move out and renovate three of our families have just been through that right at church right and thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage and where's it going to come from and perhaps it's the burden of responsibility and how you feel like people aren't responding to your leadership or to your influence in the way that you think they ought maybe maybe it's that you're just constantly losing things all the time at home the keys the wallet the the glasses and you're starting to wonder if you're losing your marbles too right and not the ones you played with as a kid so so many factors can lead to that same question how long lord so that's david's pain but it's not the end of the story because what does he do in his pain and here's the first thing that god wants to teach us right to pray david prays he cries out to god and it's the exact right thing to do and he cries out to god honestly he cries out earnestly he's not pretending that life's okay with god as if god didn't know anyway right uh and, and that's what he does in verse three and four look at me and answer me lord my god give light to my eyes or i'll sleep in death and my enemy will say i've overcome him my foes will rejoice when i fall you hear what he's doing in his prayer david's crying out to god and saying answer me do something please fix the situation or i'll die my enemies are going to win now the words are kind of poetic because it's a psalm right you don't you know when you write songs you kind of write poetically but and, he, and he's talking about his own particular situation. Uh, the, yeah, he actually has his life threatened by his foes. But again, do you see the sentiment? The, the same principle is there for us. We pray, God, please do something. Speak to me. Show me a light. Make a change. Do something because I'm on the edge and I'm not sure if I can keep going unless there's change. That's David's prayer, pleading to God openly and honestly. And, and I think God's giving us permission, right? He's a big boy, he can take it, right? He's giving us permission to bring everything to him. In fact, he wants us to bring everything to him. Now, I know some people might worry that that might not be appropriate. Right, well, God, I've got to be prim and proper when it comes to God. They couldn't possibly actually tell him what's going on. And for sure, there can be inappropriate and even unhealthy ways of doing it, right? Raging against God. Uh, so, someone was saying this morning that at one point they just felt so distant from God that they said, God, you're the king, but I'm, I don't even want to call you Mr. God. <laughs> right? I'm just so ticked off. <laughs> and, I, and he broke into tears and said, that I, that's not actually real, is it? Like, there are unhealthy ways of doing it, but God's giving us permission to be open and honest and cry out to Him. In fact, sometimes to not cry out to God can be very dangerous. There's another psalm, Psalm 32, 
also by David where he writes, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away within me. There are times when we have to cry out to God, even if with everyone else we're going to pretend that everything's okay and put on our masks like we do. And... But notice it's not just any old release or screaming. It's not punching a pillow, right? It's not breaking vases. It's not uh, Peter Finch in the movie Network just yelling out, I'm as bad as hell! <laughs> Which uh, it was suggested we play as a video clip for today. But um, a few years ago, there was something called... Uh, Primal scream theory. Uh, ever heard of that? You can probably imagine what primal scream theory involves. Anyway, uh, the theory, if you've got something troubling you or distressing you, you just scream it out, you shout it out, and just expressing it helps you deal with it. Uh, you remember Tears for Fears. Uh, everyone wants to rule the world. Uh, mad world uh, one of their biggest hits was about primal scream theory shout 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 let it all out these are the things we can do without so come on now you know that one i won't try and sing it for you as much as that'll be aesthetically pleasing for everyone but <laughs> but what's the problem with primal scream theory you shout it out but it's all still there. Nothing changes. It's, it, if the thing causing you pain and difficulty is your boss at work and on the way to work tomorrow morning, you pull up in the underground car park and get, start to get out of the car and you scream, a blood-curdling scream of your boss's name at the top of your voice, you've still got to walk upstairs to the office and the boss will still be there and nothing's changed. Well, it might have got worse because someone might have overheard. The boss might have overheard you, right, if you yelled that loud, right? You might not have a job to go back to. Right? Um, we're not being told to do primal screaming. No, we're, we're to cry out to God as David cried out to the Lord who sits on the throne, the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name, the one who can make a difference, the one who always watches over us. When we cry to him, we're not just crying out empty words to the wind which can do nothing. We're crying to the God who reigns in all power, who knows and sees everything, who loves us deeply. Now, his ways are not always our ways. And so we won't always get the answer that we want to our prayers. And we won't always see what he's doing and understand why, why he's allowing this certain situation to happen or what he's going to bring out from this thing that we're going through but we can be absolutely confident that he hears us and that crying out to him makes all the difference in the world it's so different to the rest of the world who have no hope in the midst of despair without god all you're left with are things like primal screaming where you shout it out hoping that something will change with no reason to think it ever will but as a Christian, you have this confidence because God is real. He's there. He listens. He's with you. He loves you. He'll, he will do whatever in his magnificent wisdom is right. So David's in despair, as we are at times. He cries out to the Lord, as I trust you and I will. But finally, he joyfully trusts and praises God. Have a look, verse 5 and 6. 
but I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. That's a bit of a surprising end, isn't it? He says he's going to do three things. He's going to trust that his heart will rejoice and he'll sing to the Lord. Right? But he's just been screaming out to God, right? Um, does that strike you as odd? Right? I, I think it's very odd because there's been no answer yet to his prayer. He's prayed, he's cried out, but there's no obvious reason to be optimistic about the crisis that he's in will ever end. He's just been saying he's at his lowest low. It's so hard he's not sure he can keep going. He's pleaded with God to do something about it, but he hasn't received an answer. And yet despite that, he can say with all honesty, honesty that he trusts, he rejoices and he sings. What can make that happen? How can that be? It, it might have made sense if there was an extra verse in the middle. If we could just edit the Bible and tell David what he should have said. You know, verse four and a half, which was something like, and God answered me and said, not for too much longer, Dave. Just three more weeks. You can hold on for three weeks, can't you? All right. And then I rejoiced and sang, but we don't have that. If there was verse four and a half, that God answered, don't worry, David, I'm going to defeat all your enemies and bring you through the dark time. In six months, you'll be sitting pretty. Everything will be at peace. Can you hang on? All right. If he said 36 years and then your night's on tonight, right? And then it's going to happen, right? Maybe. I doubt it, but anyway, that's... Yeah. Um, but it doesn't say that. There's no answer provided. There's no time frame given, which makes, I think, the words of verse 5 and 6 all the more incredible. What is it that makes him trust, rejoice, and sing in the midst of his pain? Have a look. He tells us, I trust in your faithful love. I rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing because, God, you've always treated me generously. Now, how can he say that? It seems to be against the, the realities that he's going through at the moment. But I think he says it for two reasons. One, because of his experience of God in the past. And two, because of God's promises for the future. So he remembers the past, all the times that God's been with him and loved him and delivered him. So many times. And that's what he chooses to remember <coughs> and trust even in the face of the terribly difficult painful situation he's in and i think that's what it boils down to in the end for david in this psalm he deliberately and intentionally in the midst of heartache says i know who god is i know what he's like i know what he's done in the past and i'm going to continue to trust and rejoice in him even if i don't know how long this is going on but also he knows God's promises for the future, that God's always got faithful love, that God has promised true deliverance and abundant goodness and generosity are in store. He knows there is a future in which the things he's going through are not going to be there where joy and love are going to flourish. A friend of mine uh, is married to a woman who loves murder mysteries loves agatha christie and pd james and 
all those books, you know. <laughs> but he's noticed something about the way she reads them. <clears throat> She'll start the book, read the first chapter or two, and he's just noticed that she just always then flicks to the last chapter and reads the last chapter uh, and then goes back and reads from chapter three onwards. And he looked at her, with a, he caught her doing this, the third or fourth time she did this in a book, he said, you're weird. <laughs> Probably not the best thing for his marriage, but you know, you're weird, that's weird. Why would you do that? And she patiently explained to him that she found it too stressful not knowing what the answer was. And what she really wanted to be able to see was all the clues as they were laid out and, and what were going to be red herrings as they came up, right? And how the, the, you know, the, how the author was going to lead you on this journey. She could enjoy the roller coaster ride because she knew the end from the beginning. And in that sense, David already has the answer because he's received God's promises. Over and over again, God has assured him that he's with him, that his descendant, 2 Samuel 7, your descendant is going to be king forever and the saviour of the world. He knows the promises that even his sins are going to be forgiven somehow um, because of the mercy of God. And, And dear friends, the good news is that we can rejoice and trust and sing because we know the answer too. In fact, we know it in a way that not even... David would have believed possible because you and I can see God's unfailing love and his salvation and his generosity with Jesus in a way David couldn't comprehend and maybe only saw as a vague shadow in the future. We know the reality in the past. He could never have understood way back then that God loved him so much that the incarnation would happen, that God was going to turn up. He thinks God's far away. God's going to show up in person. David could never understood that God loved him so much that Jesus would go to the cross for him, that God would do something so wonderful that we could not only draw near to God with sincerity and full assurance of faith, but that God by his spirit could dwell in us because what Jesus has done is so incredible. And in fact, David wasn't just teaching us here to cry out to God in despair, whether he knew it or not. He was actually pointing towards what Jesus would go through himself, that this psalm is prophetic. Jesus himself experienced all the things that David says he experienced in this psalm as his enemies actually gathered around him and got him. Right, as they gloated over him, as they mocked and spat on him, as they gambled for his clothes and put him to death. Jesus experienced despair in that moment, didn't he? Right? And, and he cried out to his heavenly father. Remember on the cross, what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It sounds an awful lot like, God, you've turned your back on me. Where are you? But he cried that out at the precise moment that he was demonstrating God's love for us. The strength of it, the endurance of it, the fullness of it, the breadth and length of it. So so that one day the things that cause you and I to suffer and struggle with will come to an end. 
they will not have the mastery forever. Jesus went through all that in that very moment that he made sure our sufferings wouldn't continue forever so that you and I can hold on to something even more powerful and enormous than any of the struggles that we go through in this world. Right? Romans might talk about the children of God and the creation groaning as in the pains of childbirth, but it starts off in verse 18 with, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Right? We're going through the fiery ordeal in 1 Peter 4, but coming into the glory of God. Right? We know it's there and we can hold on. It's powerful, which is why you and I, along with David, can choose to trust, can, our hearts can choose to rejoice and we can sing to God even in a world of pain, even at times when we're in despair. Uh, uh, Spurgeon, the, the Baptist minister, struggled with depression his whole life, but he loved Psalm 13 because he said, David started the psalm sighing, but he finishes the psalm singing. <laughs> David didn't do it because he was bipolar. Now, he wasn't swinging his motions from despair to feeling brilliant like a pendulum. He, 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 he could finish singing because he knew who God is, what he'd done for him many times in the past. He knew his incredible promises. And so he chose to trust even more than he felt the weight of his own problems. And you and I can do that too. So I want to encourage you this morning, even as I encourage myself in the midst of difficulty, cry out to the Lord, remember who he is, remember what he's done for you, look to the cross and know the future glory that's coming, that God's opened up, remember his promises that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory of God that he has in store for his children, choose to trust him and rejoice even in the midst of despair that you might be going through or may one day go through because Jesus has rescued us and one day will take us home to be with him and the despair will not last. How long, Lord? Not for always. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that you understand us completely. You see our hearts and our troubled thoughts that are there maybe now and we pray please that you would have mercy on us and teach us to pray teach us even to praise you to love you to rejoice to trust you in the midst of our greatest darknesses father please relieve us help us to uh, through the different situations give us strength please change the situations we find ourselves in but Father, even more, teach us to wait on you, to look forward to your coming kingdom and know that you are with us even in the pain and that it's all coming to an end one way or another, even if it's not how we would do it now. Father, please help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.